Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and you're listening to episode number 29. In today's episode, I interviewed Chelly Phillips, who is the founder of Successfully Ever After and has helped hundreds of success-seeking individuals launch powerful personal brands so they can be seen and heard in the workplace. She combines a no BS attitude and her 20 plus years of public relations experience to help women formulate meaningful career strategies and confidently take action towards their vision of success. Her confident, positive coaching encourages individuals to highlight their strengths, expand their networks, and follow their calling to obtain career fulfillment. She empowers the career-minded to take back control and build a career and life that they love. When she's not coaching, Chelly is a speaker, corporate trainer, and the author of two award-winning books, When in Doubt, Delete It, and Get Noticed, Get Hired. She's an avid SEC football fan, Roll Tide, and an admitted Coke Zero addict. I can't wait for you guys to listen to the show, and I hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening to the In The Lead show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. In the Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and I'm joined today by Chelly Phillips. She is the founder of Successfully Ever After and has helped hundreds of, of success seeking individuals launch powerful personal brands so they can be seen and heard in the workplace. And today we're going to talk about getting seen and getting heard. Welcome to the show, Chelly. Thanks. It's great to be here with you today. Looking forward to sharing with everyone. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation today. I mean, it's when we had our first conversation, we talked about getting seen and getting heard. That is something that has always resonated with me because as a female, especially in a high-tech industry where it's very, you know, predominantly male-driven for the most part for many years, um, I often felt myself unseen and unheard. So when we talked about, you know, getting seen and getting heard, I was really excited to kind of dive into that topic. So, but before we do that, I would love to know a little bit more about you. Who is Chelly Phillips? Yeah, so I too come from a, um, a very male industry. I've worked in uh, the utility world for over 20 years. And so uh, it's about as male as you can get. Um, and, uh, prior to that, I had, uh, my background was in journalism. I worked at, uh, newspaper and radio for a little while. So, um, I've always been interested in people being able to tell their stories. And so from working in newspaper, um, and, and telling those kind of stories, it translated into my corporate life, being able to help employees be able to tell their stories and be able to get those across in a matter that gets them the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I feel like story is so impactful and people really connect and, and resonate with that. Now, when you say get seen, get heard, what does that mean to you? So to me, I said, I think it kind of summed up best in, in a quote, and I think I shared this when we were talking earlier, is that no one will pay you what you're worth, only what they think you're worth. Mm. 
So for you to be able to be seen and be heard, that's putting the control back in your hand so that you control how people think about you, thereby you're raising your value, you're raising your worth to that organization. Um, but it really is up to the individual to take that on that responsibility of promoting themselves in the best way possible. What do you think holds people back from promoting themselves in the best way possible? I think there's a couple of different things. One of it is fear first, you know, um, and, and then the other is it's kind of uncomfortable. You know, we're all raised with that. Um, you're not supposed to talk about yourself. You're not supposed to brag about yourself. It's wrong if you do those kind of things. And there's such a way that you can do this where it's not braggart. It's not boastful. It's really about you just presenting your case and making the best argument for yourself. But I, like I said, I think a lot of it is fear too. You know, like anytime that you're, you're working with an authority figure, whether that's a supervisor, a CEO, you know, whatever level that you're at, in the organization, there's always that fear of if I go to them and say, hey, there's things you haven't seen or there's things that you're not noticing, is, is, is how is that going to come back on me? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's also the fear of the unknown. So what if they don't see things the same way that you see them? Uh, you know, am I willing to take that criticism? Am I willing to assess that fairly in, you know, is there actually some things that I should be approving on before I ask for this raise or before I ask for this promotion, or is it an unfounded criticism and, you know, and how am I going to combat that? So anytime you put yourself out there, you're opening yourself up to either the rejection or possible criticism on top of, yeah, you may get the answer that you're wanting and things are great and you get that promotion or that raise that you're after. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, I caution people at times to, you know, be careful what you wish for too, because I, I know that there have been a lot of people who've really struggled to get those promotions and into positions and then found out and was like, oh man, this is not at all what I wanted or expected. And it's just a lot of pressure. And also, as you were talking, I was thinking about, it almost feels more prevalent with women too, as far as like, I, I know when we talked first, I think we had talked about how there have been you know, research and studies done around when there's a new job opening, women want to make sure that they have like 95% of the qualifications before they even go for it. Where with men, it's more like 40 to 50% or less, and they just go for it. And I've seen that in my own career where I've worked with people they are like, ah, I'm just going to, you know, males are just like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, well, I only fit like 70%. I sh probably shouldn't you know, go for that. What do you, what do you equate to like that mindset that, you know, a lot of, I think females have around, you know, how qualified I am, or maybe even just how they see themselves in the workplace. Yeah. And I think some of that deals with, um, you know, a lot of us are rule followers mm -hmm. and if you write it down on the piece of paper and there's a checklist that says you have to have X, Y, Z plus one, two, and three, then, you know, internally say, well, if I only have X and one and two, then this is not for me. I'm not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we have to get out of the mindset of that. You know, we have to have everything. It has to be perfect to be able to make that move or make that change. And, it, you know, it really is an internal discussion. You know, no one is stopping you from applying. You know, the, you know I, tell, I tell my clients all the time that, you know, the most someone can tell you is no. 
and basically you already had the no to begin with if you didn't try or you didn't apply for it. So what's the difference? You know, you're no better. You're not, you're not any worse off that if you go for it and don't get it other than you may get some feedback that helps you for the next opportunity that comes along. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot about having that clear vision for yourself, you know, um, do you know where you want to go? You know, like, do you know how to sell yourself and your accomplishments and your skills that present you in the light that make you the best possible candidate for that position? And if that's the case, then it's all about, you know, my background's in marketing and PR as well. And so I tell people, it's really no different than creating a branding campaign like you would for some product. You're doing it for yourself. You are the product. And what, what is more valuable than us as human beings and what we bring to the table? Yeah. And I love that you brought up the internal component. I mean, I think that is so critical to help not only first get an understanding of first, maybe what is your internal dialogue or internal, you know, feelings kind of coming up around something and then having the ability to maybe either flip the mindset or some can maybe come up with some healing that you need internally before you can kind of push forward into kind of maybe more of the unknown. Cause what it feels like to me, what you're saying is it's the fear of rejection that I think, at least for myself, I can speak of like, that's a thing that comes up a lot when I'm thinking about taking a risk or, you know, whatever it is going for a new job. It's like, Oh, well, I don't want to really put myself out there if I'm just going to be rejected. Um, and during that whole process, a lot of internal things can come up. So what do you think, what, what are some of your recommendations for people to kind of get more in tune maybe with some of that internal dialogue feelings around that rejection and fear? So, uh, you know, one of the things like from the research that I've been doing is I, there's basically six things that hold people back from success. The first is that they truly don't know. Like, I don't know the skill or I haven't learned whatever. And that's something you can fix. You can assess the situation and go, okay, so I need to learn how to code or I need to learn how to develop, you know, interesting email campaigns, or I need to learn a technical skill on how to put, you know, this widget together and get it, you know, ready to go faster, better than anyone else. So there's the things that you don't know, but that's fixable. Then there's the, I'm afraid. So, you know, like, Anytime you're facing the unknown, you know, like a new job, a new career, a new place, that's an unknown. You know, you know where you're at, you know what you get up and do every day. But anytime you you think about making that change, there's that fear of, oh, is it going to be what I thought it was? Or is there going to be something else there that I'm not aware of? Or or am I stepping into a situation that's not what I think it's going to be? Or how are my coworkers are going to be there? Or is the break room even going to have the right kind of coffee? You know, I mean, like, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can start playing in your mind that that sets off that fear chain that, that keeps you where, rooted where you're at. Then there's the, I don't have enough time, whether that's investing in yourself or doing the research on something, or if it is, you know, that means I've got to rearrange a schedule with childcare, or I've got to figure out, you know, how am I going to fit the extra learning if I need that into my schedule with my work and my child and my family and my friends and all this kind of stuff. The next is like, I don't have enough money. You know, so, you know, a lot of people look for a position because they want that pay raise or something like that. But if it's going to require any kind of investment in themselves before they're ready to get that, then it's like, oh, I don't have enough money to do that. Um, But if you look at the payout down the road, you know, it might be worth giving up that Starbucks, you know, 
three days a week <laughs> so that you can invest in an online learning program and, and get the skill that you need. It's going to pay off in the end. And then, you know, the last two that I get is like, it's too late for me. I've aged out, mm -hmm. you know, like um, there's so many people younger than I am with more skills or, or something like that. And, and we tend to let, you know, our experience become a hindrance at that point, instead of looking at, at it as here's all the extra value that I'm going to bring. And then finally, it's too hard. You know, it, we as humans like the easy way out, you know, so as long as there's nothing majorly wrong with where we're at, and we know what we're going to do, we know what to expect. Why do we want to rock the boat? Why do we want to change things? Like, so let's just show up and let's just do the day to day, whether we're really engaged or not. But as long as it pays the bills and everything's okay, then I'm just going to stay there because it's hard sometimes to make the change. And then depending on the support system that you have, you know, some people don't get the reason that you might want to, you know, like you have a perfectly good job. It's got good benefits. Why would you want to go someplace else? You know, and it, and, and for some people, and, and I'm one of those, I love a challenge. You know, I like things to be new and I like, I like different opportunities to come my way and that kind of thing. So day in, day out, 20 years down the road is, you know, if it's the same day every day, I, that's not going to be an environment that I thrive in. And a lot of it is knowing you internally, knowing what's going to make you tick, what's going to keep you engaged, what's going to keep you, you know, ready to wake up on Monday and see what the week's going to hold. You know, so many people spend their life where Sunday night rolls around and it's like, oh God, it's fixed to be Monday again. I have to get up. I have to go back to this place. And it's just pain and misery and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we, and we start the Monday ready to work for Friday so that we can get off and have two days. And then we start the whole cycle all over again. So, you know, it really goes back to like, you know, what I was saying earlier is it's, it's a lot of mindset too, is that you have to do some internal evaluation and get really clear on what matters to you, what you're willing to invest in yourself. You know, a lot of people have issue with that. You know, like we talk about self-care a lot in the world and investing in yourself isn't just about getting in a bubble bath and having a couple hours to yourself. Investing in yourself is about growing and developing your skills and, and, and doing those kind of things. And it's a matter of making that a priority. Yeah. You're so right. I mean, I always smile when people talk about self-care and it's like, Oh, you know, yeah, the bubble baths and, you know, maybe the hour away from the kids, you know, I look at it more than that too. I, I look at it like really stretching ourselves beyond those edges that we all have. And I, I, one, so first of all, when you're going through the six, I was thinking to myself, yep, I've said all those things to myself. Yep. I know those all very, very well. And in fact, just yesterday I was having a conversation with another coach and I, he said, you know, he asked me, what is your one thing that you are struggling with right now. Um, and I had said time, I was like, you know, I'm just, I got a lot going on. It's very busy. I wish I could be doing more. And he said, well, what if that were a limitation? And I hadn't even thought about it like that, but it might be true, right? Maybe that could be a story that I'm telling myself, or maybe I could inadvertently be putting up roadblocks in front of myself based on that narrative that I had, that I hadn't even really kind of honed in on until I had that conversation. And I was like, Oh, you're right. Oh, interesting. So I'm telling myself, I don't have enough time to do these things. So I can't do them. And that in and of itself might be preventing me from, and that might be my way of trying to keep myself safe. Right. I always look at it like almost playing small. Like I want to play within the boundaries of what feels safe and good and not disruptive, but 
we all know that growth and transformation and change happens outside of those boundaries. So it's very interesting. I always like to tell people too, that it can be sneaky. Like it's not always obvious, like those things that you were talking about, they can thread into your life in very covert ways that even like myself yesterday, I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even realize that that could be something that I am telling myself to keep me from taking that next next risk. And so it's very, I think it's very important. I agree that really getting, you know, tuned into that internal dialogue and just what's going on and how that might be impacting decisions you're making, you know, risks that you're wanting to take, whatever it's really powerful to really understand. And we have powerful ways to keep ourselves kind of in that bubble of safety and, um, where it's not threatening. Yeah, it's, you know, it's 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 sometimes having to get uncomfortable to be able to get that next that next kick, that next move, that next push that causes you to do that kind of thing. You know, for me that was really the case and and in in my in my old world like when I I had been there for 20 years like I was talking about and we had a new manager come in and the whole philosophy of the organization changed. And I went from having a seat at the table being someone that was brought in on, you know, discussions to, to one that was basically overlooked and looked at as more of a nuisance position. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because what happened was that I began to internalize all that. I made it about me. I made it about oh, I'm not really worth what I thought I was worth. Oh, my skills are not what I thought they were. And, you know, with someone with that many years of experience, and I had a lot of industry awards and, and I sat on boards and different things like that. So if I went down the checklist on a piece of paper, there should have been no question in my mind that, yes, you do bring value. Yes, you know your skills, you know what you need to do. But it's really amazing how one person, especially in a, in a workplace, can really affect how you think about things and how you how you progress forward. You know, for me, it became I would pull up in the parking lot and I'd get a knot in my stomach that that morning, and it would be like you'd almost have to play that game. Okay, I'm going to psych myself up. Today is going to be okay. I'm just going to do my best to ignore them. I'm going to try to avoid them as much as possible. And it seems like those days that you you know you gave yourself that little cheer talk would be the day that you like you spent like eight hours with that person all day long for whatever reason, you know. And it was like it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. But then you take all that home with you too. You know, so like you've had that stressful day all day at work and you're starting to doubt, you know, like what you bring to the table, you take it out on your spouse, you take it out on your boyfriend, you take it out on your kids, you take it out on your friends you go to lunch with because you become that person that I either I either need, um, you know, reaffirming, you know, like I become very needy and I need you to tell me that everything's okay and I'm good. Or either you just become that person that just gripes the whole time about everything that's going on in life, like work sucks. This isn't, you know, da, 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 da. and nobody wants to be around you because neither side is attractive, you know, and you're not bringing anything to the relationship at that point in time. You're not, you know, uplifting them or doing anything because you're taking, taking, taking all the time. And, you know, it really took, you know, I, the, my boss was a jerk and he proved it in sending an email one weekend, basically asking me if my skills came from the box of box of Fruit Loops, you know, like the prize inside. And, you know, it took that move for me to get so fed up and to realize that 
you know what? He's the jerk. He's the one that doesn't appreciate. He's the one. And, you know, sometimes I think we need those kicks to, to like really put ourselves into gear and go, you know, I have more to offer and I deserve to be someplace that values what I bring to the table and, and will incentivize that with the right paycheck or the right, you know, like in this day and time, it's not necessarily all about the, the wage and salary. It can be about flex time. It can be about different benefits. It can be about, you know, different kind of things. I tell people now that, you know, we all used to talk about, oh, I want my dream job you know, but what really is a dream job anymore? A dream job is what allows you to enjoy the life that you want at the fullest that you can, you can have it. Now, whether that's, you know, I I have a number in mind that's going to, you know, that's the pay that I need to do that. Or is it the fact that I can work three days from home and two days in the office and I can be at every one of my kids' ball games if I want to be there? Or is it, you know, it gives me the chance to, I can come in, I can flex my hours, you know, I can, I can come in from noon till six one day, or if I want to, if I'm an early bird, I can be there at six in the morning and finish at noon because I, you know, I thrive on those hours, you know, so, you know, it's a lot of evaluation and it takes a lot of self-reflection to realize what you really want out of life. And what that career, that dream job that we all talk about really looks like. And then it's about being able to articulate it and show the strengths that you have and how that you match that position. And if, if you want me to bring this to your organization, and I promise it's going to be a value and I'm going to do these things for you, then this is how I want to be rewarded for that work. Uh, I, there are so many things fluttering through my mind as you were talking and it, there, it's interesting. What came up for me was we seek a lot of validation externally um, through either bosses, you know, parents, spouses, whomever. Like, I feel like that is one thing that I think we as a collective could work on more is not only knowing your worth, but owning it and knowing that you are the one who holds the keys, right? It's not the boss who says, you know, your work or your experience is like out of a fruit loop box. And I mean, who's to say that anyway? I mean, but I see it so much where people get really hung up on something somebody said, but like you said, also a lot of times it can be really activating. And, but I think just really, again, getting really clear about what, what is yours? I always say, what's yours and what's theirs? Like what's theirs. That might be his own you know, your boss's own trauma or their own kind of internal feelings kind of getting projected out onto you. And it, it may not even have anything to do with you. And I see so many times, especially, especially with women where they've internalized that, where it's like, oh, well, he said this, that must mean I am that. And really getting clear, I think on that is important. And one other thing I wanted to share was my boss, um, a boss I had a few years back, help me with this perspective. Cause I've always felt kind of awkward with the whole selling thing. Like I've worked with, especially again, in high tech, you see it a lot. Everybody's always selling themselves. Like I'm great. Look at everything I've done, you know? And it's just like, I'm over there. Oh, God, like, please stop. It's so, ugh. but it's just constant. Right. And my boss told me, he was like, you know what, what if you just looked at it a little bit differently, instead of selling yourself, look at it. Like you're just creating awareness. You're just letting the person know who you are, what you have to offer the, the strengths and the skills that you have. And that, I don't know why in that moment for me, it helped me 
really with a fundamental shift around, yeah, I'm not selling myself. I'm because again, selling to me implies that someone else holds the power. Someone else holds that, um, the keys to my success, whereas awareness for me is like, I hold the keys and I can, I can control the narrative and I can control what is being said and, and how, how that's being presented. So I don't know if that resonates with you, but for me, it just really like clicked for me. And I was like, Oh, I've been thinking about this all wrong my whole life. Like it's not about selling. It's about just letting people know who I am. What do I, what do I have to offer? And that feels more empowering to me. I think of it as like a return on investment. You know, like if you want to get like an, you know, like a real corporate kind of uh, flair to it, mm-hmm. you've invested in me with this paycheck and here is the return that you've gotten. Just like if you were to evaluate a stock, you know, like I put this much money in and it's grown and this is what I've gotten out of it. And then you're going to evaluate whether you want to sell it or trade it or, or keep it a little while longer because, hey, it's working for me. And so I, I think if you kind of look at it that way, that you are basically showing you know, a company, a boss, an organization that you have invested in me, you know, through the education, through training, through development, you know, through my years in the, in this organization, but this is what I've brought back to you. And it's mm-hmm. three times, whatever it's worth, or four times, whatever it's worth. You know, I think one of the things we as women do too, is that we think that everything has to be a big win for it to count. And, you know, when I work with my clients, when we're getting ready to do this, one of the things that I make them start doing is, is I think we talked about this is I'm an old fashioned paper kind of person. I love my planner. Um, even though I do keep things on the computer too. I said, I, I think it goes back to, to the whole journalism thing is what we used to write it all down, but um, I just can't quite kick the planner thing out of, uh-huh. out of the way yet. But every week, you know, I think it's important that we go back and assess what were our wins this week? And a win doesn't necessarily have to be, I closed a million dollar contract. A win can, you know, depending on the week, it can be, you know, I didn't strangle my coworker because they, you know, they, they were just miserable this week or, you know, or, you know, it could be that, you know, you save this email from a great client interaction that you had and you were able to solve a problem or, you know, maybe you, you killed it in the presentation that you did for a company training, or maybe it was something as small as, you know, I made new vendor contacts and I think it'll save us money down the road to build these relationships in this, this kind of, um, or, you know, for the organization, but, you know, unless we are diligent about tracking those and keeping up with them, when it comes time for that conversation with the boss or that yearly evaluation or whatever promotion time happens for your organization, you know, you don't have that top of mind, you know, you know, if you're a spreadsheet person, every week pop a win into a spreadsheet. And then when you get ready to go in for these conversations, not only is it reaffirmation for you that, because, you know, I think in the moment we tend to forget what we've actually done, you know, and it, and it's a good reminder for us as we prepare for those meetings to go back through and go, oh yeah, I did do that. Or, oh yeah, someone did say I was awesome at so-and-so and so-and-so, or, you know, I, I did make a difference. I saved the company $10,000 on this project by finding, you know, a process change that we're able to implement and save time and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, like if it's, if it happened nine months ago and you're going in for that conversation, it may not be top of mind. So if you keep this running spreadsheet or this running, you know, like list in your planner or whatever, and I think it makes it, you know, when it's, you t- when you make it visible, it's hard to ignore. 
you know, and that's just like being visible in the workplace. Your boss, it's hard for your boss to ignore you when you become visible. Same thing for us is what you focus on is what you see. So if you're focusing on your wins and you're constantly updating it and looking at it, not only does I think it makes us strive for even more wins because, you know, I, I, well, I'm competitive with myself. I want to outdo what I did the year before. So, you know, I, you know, I, I continue like, okay, well, if I did that, I can do this this time. Um, but it also, you know, it, it, it will really fire you up and it, and it makes you that much more of an advocate for yourself when you can go and point to real hard facts that say, this is what I've done. This is what I've accomplished. And this is what I bring to the table. It's not, I think I could do so-and-so, or I feel like it was this. If you've got that tangible right there in front of you that you can bring in, you can send that spreadsheet to your boss or whatever after the conversation, here's a reminder of the things that we talked about. And here's why I think I would be great at X, Y, Z. It's really hard to, to not fact yeah. And, it, you know, a, a lot of us and a lot of organizations are very data driven. And when you can make it quantitative instead of qualitative, then, you know, all, you're, you're in that much more of a power position when it comes to negotiating for yourself. And it really is that uh, about bringing that awareness to what you what you do and what you bring to the table. It's not as you know, every I, and I get what you were saying earlier is a lot of people think selling themselves. It's kind of slimy. It's kind of like office politics. Mm-hmm. It's like nobody really wants to do that. But if you look at it that way as, as I'm, I'm showing you what you got for your investment or I'm bringing the awareness to the table so that you're not overlooking something. You know, I tell a lot of people, sometimes the, the boss is generally aware of the person that causes the most problems or is, is, is the one that is constantly in their face. So, you know, and neither of those may be good. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the problem is definitely not good. But if you're always in their face, but you're not in their face for the right reasons, then you're, you're a nuisance also. And so it's that 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 the one that never speaks up that like, you know, like I think a lot of times we have the attitude that, oh, if I do my job and I do it great, people are going to notice because I did my job. Well, sometimes that just sneaks right under the radar because there's no issue with you. There's no problem with you. I don't have to invest the time in you because I know you're getting it done, which that sounds kind of counter productive on a manager's part, but a lot of managers are not even taught those skills of how to develop their people and how to, um, you know, how to really mentor them and how to have those conversations with them about career development and that kind of thing. A lot of managers get put in the role because let's face it, they've been there so many years and they were the next person on the line that goes, and that doesn't necessarily make them good people managers. It may be awesome at the job that they did before they got moved up there. But just because you got put in a role that says, i.e., I'm a manager now, doesn't mean you have those skills. And so sometimes it's up for us. Sometimes we have to teach our managers how to manage. Oh, I love that. I love what you're saying. I had so many things going through my mind. And that that is a whole other podcast topic that drives <laughs> me bonkers that, yeah, how we need to reevaluate the way we promote people and who we choose to lead and manage um, organizations. Um, but one thing that was coming up for me was, again, taking back that ownership. I learned that early in my career, like I have to drive that conversation. Even if you are having development discussions, make it known, bring that awareness to your boss. What is it that you want? Because they might think, oh, Jen, you're just happy, you know, just doing your job. You're making enough money. You don't want to get promoted. You're fine. You're just cruising. So 
you have to also differentiate yourself and kind of own that a bit and in find a way that works for you. Uh, for me, I'm not the real pushy type, but I'll find ways like in one-on-ones or when we're having those development conversations to go, Hey, yeah, look at what I've done, right? Keep that list. And then say, you know, this is what I'd really like to do next. And, and this is why I think it would be really beneficial to me and into the organization. And here's some of the things I can do for you. I, I think you have to really own that conversation and it might be really uncomfortable for some people, but yeah, in an organization, especially I always look, I tell people, I'm like, there's 50 other people wanting probably the same exact thing you want. What's going to make you stand out? What's going to make your boss go? Yeah. I want to promote Jen. She's the one versus somebody else who might also be doing a lot of really great stuff. I think it's about kind of keeping that channel of communication open and really owning that conversation. And then I love the affirmations because I'm a big affirmations kind of rub me two different ways. I I like the fact, like keeping it factually, right. Saying, okay, I did this, you know, keeping it much more tangible versus like the platitudes and the cliches and, you know, the live, laugh, love you put on your wall or whatever. Like I, I like the, you know, here's what I did and looking back and reaffirming yourself and going, wow, yeah, I actually did a lot because I think we have a tendency to gravitate towards kind of more of that deficit. Like, what didn't I do? What did I, what, what went wrong? What, what is missing instead of looking at, wow, well, I actually did a lot over the last week or last year. Wow. And give yourself a little pat on the back because I feel like we, I know at least for me, it's a, I have a high tendency to just go straight to the wow, you didn't do enough. You, you know, you could have done more, like you messed up bad shame on you instead of saying, wow, well, look at all the things that I did do. And I think for me, it's been about balance, kind of trying to hold all of it together. It's not about necessarily dismissing maybe opportunities for me to learn or to grow and reflect, like you mentioned, but also pivoting and focusing on kind of the strengths and what you you did actually accomplish. So I think it's for me, it feels like it's a little bit of both, but I know a lot of people have a tendency to kind of fall into the mindset of, I didn't do enough. Nobody likes me. You know, I'm never getting promoted, you know, all the, the narratives that we have, um, and really being able to kind of shift that in, in a very, for me, it's a very, um, authentic way. Again, it's not like platitudes and like, Oh, Jen, you're just so amazing. And you're wonderful. No, it's like, actually. And I like, that's why the, the factual affirmations help me go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I did this, this, and this, and this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on track. I feel like I'm making progress. Um, our brains are wired to focus on the negative, you know, it's, it's, it, you have, I I forget the number, but like, it's like 10 times more times you have to see the positive before it outweighs the negative. And so, you know, that's why I really said it's really important that we start actually making that list and tracking what is happening because it is so easy to fall back into that you know, like the, the first thing you think of is, is the presentation that you bombed. I was so nervous. I stuttered. I, you know, I, I, I skipped a slide because I, you know, I couldn't keep up with what I was, or I forgot what I was going to say on something. You know, it, it's super easy for that to become the sole focus of what you take away from, you know, that quarter of the, you know, your, your life or whatever. And it, it is uncomfortable for some people to sit there and actually list out, here's the things that I did well. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's, 
it's just like you were talking about when you were talking to your boss, you know, it's uncomfortable sometimes, you know, and, but, you know, the thing that I've learned is the more uncomfortable something makes you, the more it's going to make you grow. And then the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It's just like public speaking. Everybody hates public speaking. You know, they're like, well, not everybody. I assume there's some people that, that really, really enjoy it. But for the most part, you know, most part, if I tell, you know, if I tell someone, oh, you've got to get up in front of a room of 50 people and make a speech, they're just going to be like, you know, and, but it's the same with that is that, you know, you do it some more and you do it some more and you do it some more and you learn your coping strategies and you learn, you know, oh, I didn't die the first time I did it. And I didn't die the second time I did it. And so it's going to get easier and easier. And you, you develop that style that is authentic to you. How do I Mm -hmm. communicate? How do I put my message out there so that someone has a takeaway and you're doing the same thing with your boss really, or your supervisor, whatever, you know, however you want to do that is, is you are, you are just defining that narrative at that point in time. And you're wanting them to have the takeaway that they, that they have, whether it, you know, like you like with some speakers, if it's this motivational moral or something like that, that you get away from the story with your boss, it's, it's the, I am the person that you should be looking at. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they say that um, fear and excitement come from the same place in the brain. And, so, you know, like with public speakers, they say sometimes, you know, take that deep breath and look at it, look at it as I'm excited to be able to share my message with someone. Mm-hmm. So when you go into your boss, look at it the same way and look at it as I am excited to be able to share who I am and what I've done today. And yeah. then it becomes not so sleazy and it's not so ooey. It's more about you let that excitement build a little bit and it kind of overcomes that little bit of fear. Um, I mean, not that that ever goes away totally. I said, you know, even, even me, you know, like that works in this, in this realm, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to sit there and tell someone, this is why you should hire me. This is why I can do this work for you. This is why I can come in and I can show you how to create an engaged workforce in your organization. You know, because you're always that little bit, it's like, they're, they might tell me no. Well, you know, okay, fine. They might tell me no, but there's someone else out there that's going to be the perfect person for me. Just like that position may be the perfect, perfect position for you. And sometimes we get told no, so that the other one is sitting there waiting on us to be able to open up. And so, you know, I I look at no sometimes as not a a slammed door. It's just the one that you need to stick your toe in and keep from closing all the way. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And I think we internalize it then and we begin to believe it ourselves Mm -hmm. because it goes back to that whole, you know, carrying on that, that feeling of worth and how wrapped up in a job title or how wrapped up into what someone thinks of us that we become that it's the more you own it. And the more you put it out there, the more you yourself begin to believe it. And when you believe it, truly believe it, it is very authentic to you how it comes out. And when you believe it, someone that you're going to tell it to is going to believe what you're telling them because just by nature, it's just like when you watch somebody on TV or you, you know, you're on a jury, you, you infer from people's body language and how they talk and how they move. 
it, it adds to their trustability and, and whether or not you're going to really, yeah, I believe what they're saying, or um, I, I, I feel you, you know, like you, you've, you've heard those people are like, I, I feel it. I feel it. I'm rubbed. I'm, you know, I'm ready for it. And it's the same thing with what we're doing with this is that the, the first step to really being able to control that image of your worth and your value is you yourself believing it. Yeah. That's so powerful. I mean, such a powerful message message. I mean, I always think of too, is like whenever a door closes or there's a no, it's really just redirecting you to maybe something, like you said, something better, a better door to open. Um, I think a lot of us get stuck at that door and really try to open it and like really process it. But I think the faster we can do that and we can kind of pivot and see maybe what other doors might be open, right, right next to us. Right. We might just need to walk a couple steps and open that. And, you know, the more I think we can do that work, I think it helps people kind of move through these things more quickly. And the other thing I wanted to touch on that I've done in my own personal life is instead of waiting until the annual review, like, cause that can be a lot of pressure. What I did with myself over the years was I would make it a conversation. So we would have one-on-ones every week. I wouldn't bring it up every week. It's <laughs> completely obnoxious, but maybe once a month or once a quarter, I would kind of weave in to the conversation, like what my intentions were. And, you know, some of those goals that I had worked on and some of the wins that I had. So we weren't waiting until the very end and having this maybe sometimes awkward conversation where it's like, well, tell me, you know what they already knew they are already well aware when we went into that, that end of year review, what have you done this year? You know, what are your intentions? What do you want to do? What's your next step? Make sure to, I mean, find what works for you, but I found that worked better for me to kind of release some of that pressure of needing to really sell myself in Mm -hmm. one particular moment or maybe two moments, but just really kind of weave it into the conversation on an ongoing basis and just keep it top of mind for your boss. So that when those promotion cycles do come up or when those changes come up that they'll know like, Oh yeah, I remember Jen and I have been talking about, you know, she wants to do this next thing. There's an opportunity. Let's go. So it's about for me again, finding what works, I think for me and aligning that, and then using those tools, like you mentioned, right. The documenting the wins, you know, doing some of the internal work myself too, and just really finding what works for me and knowing that you don't have to do what other people do. And it's not always a one size fits all approach. Do what feels best to you and just work with it and find a way. Um, and I don't know, for me, that always just helped me feel more authentic and more, um, or less stressed about that whole, it can be awkward and uncomfortable. It can be kind of, you know, if it's not natural for you, it, you know, it can feel kind of weird. So just, I, I always tell people just play around with it and figure out what, what works best for you. But the affirmations I think are really, really key. Just having that document documented throughout the year, like, and just look back on it and reflect on it every so often and go, Oh yeah. You know, I did do a lot this year. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I had, I had a client that I, that I've just been working with and it, she was totally petrified about having a face-to-face conversation with her boss. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that we did was we started with email because it's safe 
you know, you can grammar check it, you can spell check it, you can, you know, you can check it to death before you hit the send button. And so, you know, and so we basically did what you were talking about. It was came up with a thing where it was not every week. I can't remember. I think she settled on maybe like every other week or something like that. She did a check-in with her boss and basically here's the projects I'm working on. Here's their status, you know, here's what's closed out or, you know, or here's what I need some, I need extra assistance on like, or I need more information or whatever. And then we, we got her to where she was closing the email. Was there anything that I can do for you that helps make your job easier? And so she became the person that the boss turned to because they were the only one asking is how can I make your job easier? Like, is there something I can take off your plate right now that, you know, that I can learn or I can help, you know, like whatever. And it wasn't done in a way that was, you know, that was schmoozy. It was, it was a legit ask, you know, because she was looking to move up in the company. And so she was wanting to learn about things and, and she had expressed that earlier in her career that she, you know, that she had intended, you know, for this to be a multi-year process for her and that she wanted to grow and learn about the industry. So it was a natural ask, or is there something that I can, you know, can do to make your job easier that can help me learn? And, and so by sending those check in, and it wasn't that they sent her something, you know, every week, yes, we'll do this for me or, or, or whatever. But I think it was that constant, uh, you know, I, I'm constantly, I, I'm going to be that person for you. I'm going to be the person that's willing to, to grow. I'm going to be that person that's willing to step out and offer, you know, a little more than what I have to do. You know, yeah. like everybody wants someone that's willing to do just that little bit extra. And she was also able to keep them up with what was happening. And it didn't, and it wasn't that I have to go have that face-to-face that makes everybody uncomfortable. She did it in a real calculated way. That was, you know, I'm going to develop this email. And like, she basically made herself a template that I'm going to include my projects. I'm going to include my, here's the updates, here's anything I need. And then here's my close. And, you know, then it was just a matter of filling it in every few weeks that said, this is what's going on, where we stand, just wanted to update you in case you had any questions or you got asked, you know, that helped her boss be prepared when they went into a meeting, you know, like they knew the status of everything without having to go track it down right before they went to, you know, some, some meeting or whatever. And so it makes her appear very proactive. It makes her appear on top of her game. And then also I'm, I'm willing to learn and grow and do and, and take on extra challenges as they come. And so it is, I think, about finding what is that authentic way for you to communicate it and, and do it. What are you comfortable with? What are you going to be able to continue? Because the thing I, I, I see most is that is that women especially will, will okay, I'm going to make an effort for this quarter. I'm going to get more visible. Well, okay, that's great. That's awesome. But it's not something you can stop after just a quarter is something that you've got to continually invest in and put your time and effort in if you want to continually grow and progress and move up that thing. And so, you know, this was something that was totally manageable, totally doable. And it was, I mean, and it took very little time, but it made a huge impact. And, and that's, you know, that's what I tell people a lot of time is that it's not about going out and creating this huge glitzy campaign. A lot of it is what are you doing day to day? What are you, how are you showing up? How are you putting yourself out there? You know, like basically what do you want to be known for? And you don't create that in one three month setting. You know, you, you do that over a course of time because like everything else, it's about building that relationship and it's about that trust developing between the two of you so that you both are on the same page about where you want to go. 
Yeah. I love what you also said that I I see lacking a lot is that it's a two-way street and we are always asking our bosses for things, right? And everybody's always complaining. They want more money. They want promotions. They want opportunities. They want this. They want, are you also extending your hand and asking them, what can I do for you? What can I help you with? Um, and I think that's such an important thing to take away because, you know, people, at least I know for myself is I don't always want to feel like people are just wanting to take from me. Right. And just ask for things. It's those people who reach out, you know, and say, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? Do you need help with anything? I mean, building that relationship, like you were saying was so, I think is so powerful too. And also helps, you know, build trust builds that relationship builds confidence in you as whatever you're trying to do. If you're, you know, working with your boss that, yeah, extend that hand and ask them, is there anything I can help you with or be more of service? I think, um, is something that I see lacking a lot too, because you have to, again, think about if you are on a team with 10 other people, they're probably asking for the same things. They're asking the boss for a lot of stuff. And as managers, especially in middle management, I mean, they're getting it from both sides. So they're probably getting a lot of pressure from the top. You're getting a lot of pressure from your teams, like find ways also to be of service to them and, and help maybe alleviate some of that pressure for them. That will also help kind of, I think, set you apart from, you know, the rest of the people in your, your group, who you might be in some ways competing with to get that one coveted promotion in that cycle, right? It's not usually, you know, I mean, that's the wild thing is usually they may only have one person that they can promote and what's going to set you apart from everybody else who might also be doing a lot of really great stuff, taking the time to build that relationship, help clear, maybe some stress from your boss and, but do it again in an authentic way. Right. I mean, I never recommend people be like, you know, have some self-serving agenda behind it, but be trying to be more of service to people and see that might open more doors for you in the future. So I love that you, you included that as well. Um, to wrap up, I want to know from your perspective, if a leader in an organization is listening to this, uh, podcast, what is one thing that they can do to help maybe somebody on their team get seen and get heard? Um, what's something maybe they can do maybe for themselves to be able to maybe connect more with their team or be mindful of, to help be aware of, you know, that there are a lot of women out there who are struggling to, you know, get seen and get heard. Is there anything that they can do to help facilitate that process? Oh, I, I love that question. And, and yes, I think there's a lot that they can actually do. You know, I think the problems in the workplace really begin when um, employees are, are, don't have a clear vision or clear direction from their leaders. Um, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, like you're, oh, every organization has a mission or they have this, but I think a lot of times they just become like a set of words that are stuck on a poster on a wall. Yeah. And so I think, you know, like, the, the key to developing that, that thriving culture that, you know, like where everybody is working together towards like-minded goals and, and, and developing people is, you know, a company can't fake authenticity, just like leaders can't fake it. And so I think the key there is to people having those real conversations is 
you know, I, I think it's important for employees to know that you as a leader also have goals and ambitions. And, you know, and I think it's also important for them to know this is where I've been. This is what I've gone through. Here's some challenges that I faced. You know, it, it didn't all happen overnight, you know, and I, I think when we're real about, you know, what what work life really is, you know, I think if if you're a boss that can come in and say, I totally get you know, what it's like, you know, it's hard to, to balance. Okay. I've got to be at a ball game. I've got to have supper done. I've got to help with homework. I've got to do this, but I've got a presentation. I've got to get ready. I've got a client meeting that I've got to take. And, and all this is happening in the world together. But if you set yourself apart as, oh, I'm superhuman, I manage everything, then no one is ever going to be comfortable to come talk to you about what they're struggling with or what they might need help with, or, or even how they see their future in the organization. And I think that's another place that, that leaders lack is, you know, um, people leave places that they don't feel like they have a future at or a future in. And so I think as leaders, it's, it's important for us to have those conversations so that our employees can feel like, oh, they see us as part of the future here. Because if no one ever tells you that they see you having a future there, what's to make you think that you shouldn't be looking someplace else, you know, and that, you know, I I tell people that's a red flag all the time that if you've been someplace and nobody ever said, hey, we're glad you're here and, and we want you to stay you might want to start looking for someplace else, especially if that industry is having, you know, a little shakeup or anything at that point in time, because you could be one of the first groups that, you know, that might get laid off or, 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 or terminated or, or even moved on that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think companies can really, you know, um, encourage um, providing the same opportunities for people, you know, um, you know, a lot of visibility, especially with women is, is, you know, finding that courage to speak up in meetings, being able to share the ideas that you have. And so as a leader, I think it's our responsibility that, you know, we work a room the way it should be worked. If you have one person that's dominating the conversation, you as the leader, the facilitator of that group, it's your job to be able to open that door for someone else who, who might not be as confident or as comfortable in their own skin, you know, ask them their opinion instead of waiting for it to come out. If, if you can see that, you know, you can look around the room and see when people's wheels are turning and, and that they're engaged, but they're not really, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump in the middle of this because someone's been here longer than I am, or they're just more vocal than I am. And so, you know, it's, it's our job as leaders to provide those opportunities. And it's also our job as leaders to help identify the skills and strengths that our employees have and use them and help them grow. You know, I tell people all the time in the leadership role that, you know, quit focusing on the weaknesses, you know, you're going to get so much more out of somebody when you focus on their strengths and you feel how to use them. You know, like if you grow that strength, it's going to grow 10 times what you're going to ever bring a weakness up to. Because, you know, we all have aptitudes for certain things and certain characteristics. And if we really focus on what we're good at and we learn how to hone those and how to really use them to the benefit of, of our career path or what we're doing at that particular time, even in our lives, then you know, so what that we may not be the best with numbers, you know, but if I can, if I am the best writer in your group, 
you want me putting that presentation together. You want me doing these kind of things and we'll let someone else worry about the budgeting piece of this. And I can just flow that into the presentation. But, you know, as leaders, it, it really is about taking the time, seeing who you have in your department and really being real with them and having those real conversations to let them know that, hey, you're a person too. You struggle just like they do. And that, hey, I even failed along the way. And here's what I learned from those, you know, like, especially in a failure moment, you know, I'm, you know, some places a, a failure almost feels like I'm out the door. You know, I, I think the really strong companies and the really strong organizations are those that can take a failure moment and turn it into a learning moment so that everybody grows from it. The person, you know, that it happened to the whole team, you know, it can be done in a way that's not an embarrassment to someone, but okay, we learned what didn't work. So now let's figure out what will work. And it's not a punishment. You know, it's a, you, you don't learn and you don't grow and you don't try new things if you're afraid to fail all the time. Yeah. And, you know, that next time around, you know, what didn't work and you may come out with something that is just jam up as the best thing that ever got produced, but you wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't had that failure beforehand. Yeah, no, that that's such beautiful wisdom. And and advice, what I was hearing as a thread through that was vulnerability, the importance of that with leaders and setting the example. And also what I like to say is they need to invite people into conversations more. It I, I see so many times where it's you're in a meeting and you just throw something against the wall and expect everyone to come up with ideas or chime in. And you're not really taking the time, like you said, working the room to kind of understand where people are at and how to kind of bring them into the conversation instead of just expecting them to just show up with some amazing, you know, idea or some solution to this challenge. It's, you got to really take the time to understand what's going on and find ways to bring people into the conversation. Um, I think that's such an important skill that at least from what I've experienced, not a lot of leaders have. And, you know, I think if you can master that skill, that's just such an important thing. And I think that helps build other people's confidence, helps them feel safer, helps them feel like they belong. All these things that we're trying to build, you know, in companies and we talk about, but I don't know how good and successful we've been at actually implementing them and really making it a reality. Um, those are just small things that you can do. And I always think that there are these small things that we can do every day to show people, Hey, we want you here. You're seen, you're heard. I got you. Like you messed up. That's okay. Like we'll figure it out. Like I invite you into these spaces for a safe conversation. Um, just so much richness there that I think, um, leaders could really spend some time to really cultivate that. And I think going back to it, I mean, for me, at least it goes back to that internal piece again. Like, I think that's what holds a lot of people back and, you know, maybe keeps them either rooted in their fear or their, you know, their habitual patterns of ways that they do things. Um, that was such a great conversation. I really appreciate your, your time today. Um, I wanted to switch gears really quick, if you don't mind into the leading questions, uh, segment. Um, and before we get started though, I was reading your bio. I am also a Coke zero addict. Like <laughs> I, you know, I, I, there's something about it that I'm like, I gotta have more of this. So I gotta really, <laughs> but I love the Coke zero myself. Um, so with the leading questions, my first question is what is your favorite bookshelf or 
book on your bookshelf? Oh gosh. Um, I, right. I would say it's, it's one I read last year right now, and it's called the chief joy officer and it's by, um, mm. Rich Sheridan. Um, okay. and he's, um, he as an exec, a business owner in, um, like Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all about developing a culture of, of an organization and, um, about how joy should be part of the workplace. And it's such an, you know, like, you know, like you don't think of a software company or something like that about joy, you know, like to me, it's kind of like, oh, I never really thought about workplace and joy going kind of hand in hand, but it's really true. When you think about it, we spend so many hours of our life at work that, you know, why not experience joy while you're there? And it, and it, it goes into, you know, the, the development of teams, the hiring practices, you know, um, and just making it an environment where people thrive. And um, so I, I would say that's probably one of my favorite books right now that, that I've read and, and actually reread it because I was like, there was so much I went through the first time and I was making, I'm so back to my journalism days, I'm a note taker when I read too. And so I I make notes as I read and, and I was going back through my notes going, Oh, I should, I should have like, how did he do that? Let me go back and find it again. So I actually reread the book again to make sure I had all my notes down pat. Like, um, and so I, and so I I would say that that's one of the, the, the really good books, um, especially if you're in a corporate environment and, and you're working to develop a team and, 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 and help people, um, reach their best version of themselves. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right. I, like you said, we spend so much time at work and so much of our lives. Why can't we create more space for joy and less of stress? And, you know, oh, actually I'm going to put that, I, I make, I'm making a, a reading list of all the guests and, um, all of their recommendations. And I think I'm going to have to add that one to my list. Cause I sounds like something I would love. Cause I think, yeah, I mean, why not? I always ask that question. Why not? Like, why can't we create more space for that and make it more enjoyable instead of dreading, mm-hmm. right? Mondays coming back to work and going oh, God, I have to do this again. <laughs> um, yeah. Why not as a leader? That would be fantastic. Um, what is one thing that you are most proud of? Um, oh, so, so I'd probably say what I'm most proud of is uh, for about 14 years, I worked on a college campus as an advisor for a sorority. And so I had about a thousand women that came through that I, I worked with mentoring and, and they were, um, but more specifically like the, um, the officers in the organization. So I developed a really close relationship with, you know, that core group that came through every year. And so to me, that being able to to share, you know, like your life learns so that someone else might not make the same mistakes or being that person that can be a sounding board for somebody. Because sometimes we just need somebody that we can talk things through with and come to our own conclusions and our own, you know, like what is our best best path to take? Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to do that for 14 years and, and you know, I, I'll get an email back or a text back because I've still got them all in my phone from all those years. Um, you know, like this is where I'm at in life. This is what I'm doing now. Or, you know, something, something made me think of a conversation that we had, you know, and, and hearing how successful they've become 
and knowing that, you know, maybe I had just a little small piece of that and that, you know, this is going to be our future, our future leaders and, and knowing that they're set up for success. That's probably the thing I'm most proud of right now. That's awesome. Wow. Getting to impact people's lives. I mean, that's so cool. Um, tell me about an influential person in your life and how did they impact you? Uh, so I would probably say, I mean, you know, besides your parents and, and things like that, but if I had to pick one person, I would probably say it was my sixth grade teacher. Her name was Barbara Ann Gatto. And so I came from South Alabama and Ms. Gatto was from New York City. And so it was this huge personality in the classroom and totally different than all of us, you know. Um, but I would say she's probably the one that really instilled my my passion and love for writing. And so um, she's the one that kind of kickstarted that piece of my career for me um, way back in sixth grade. It's like we at one day a week, we always had to come in the classroom and we had to pick out a photo from this box and then we had to write some story about whatever the photo was like you made it up like but it was just like your trigger item for the day is like this is what you're going to write a story about if you drew an elephant on the box you wrote about an elephant or you know it could be anything but um she she was always the one that was just she was a little bit larger in life and and she had that creative flair and it was one of those places that where you just felt like you could be you and you could you could and for me it was about the writing and stuff being able to share that piece that i was developing and learning that meant so much to me and have it done in such a supportive environment you know it's one of those things i, I wish now that she could kind of see you know like where i went on to become a journalist and then i went on to work in in public relations the corporate side of things and now i have two books that i've written and i really credit her to being the one that really gave me that that kickstart that said, you know, this is something that you're good at and that that you can excel at and you can be you, you can say what you want to say, and it's a great way for you to express yourself. Wow, that's so beautiful. I know we have a number of teachers and educators who listen, and I just want to say you have such a profound impact on people's lives. And I think that's a perfect example. And it's such a such an such a wonderful profession that I don't think we give enough credit to, but yeah. How many times could she have impacted other lives throughout her career and how she's impacted you in such a powerful way? It just oh, gives me goosebumps. And thank you, by the way, to all the teachers and educators through this pandemic. I mean, it's been oh my a gosh. hot mess. <laughs> you know, I, we all appreciate you. I mean, a thousand times over. So, I mean, you guys are amazing. Um, and if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh, my. Um, I try to make the best of wherever I'm at all the time. You know, like I, I, I moved from Alabama here about five years ago to Georgia. And so it's been fun just to kind of explore and see what's here. But but my heart of hearts, I'm a beach girl. So if I could live anywhere that my toes could be in the sand and I could hear the waves roll, I would, that's probably my, my ultimate place. It's just my happy place. So, um, doesn't necessarily, um, you know, I would say I could go back to like, um, Gulf shores, orange beach and my home state beaches, but I'm really not picky, you know, like mm -hmm. as long as that, 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 you know, I can, I can get there and, and there's something about the way the, the water and the sun just kind of like just melts away any kind of stress and, and it opens your mind. And it, it is so fun how you can be sitting on the beach and then all of a sudden you have all these ideas that start flowing because you've turned off everything else that was going on. And yeah. so I would say anywhere there's a beach. 
<laughs> I'm with you. I love the, I love the beach too. I, uh, I love it. Um, and the last question is what is the most important lesson that you have learned in your life that you can share with the listeners? I would think that goes back to the story I was telling earlier in the podcast. And, and it's a late learn in life, I guess, to say is that is that no one else really can control how you feel about yourself, that you mm. are the one that gives them that power or not. And it's, you know, it, it, it was it was me that had I had given over my power by letting the things that they said and did really control my emotions and how I felt and, and what I took home from work every day with me. And, you know, it was like when that switch goes off and, and it was that moment where you're like, you know, they don't get to do that to me. You know, I have that control. I don't know why I'm sitting here wallowing in this and, and, you know, and it, and it was so easy for, for it to go that way. Like it didn't take, you know, in less than six months I had gone from, you know, things are great. I love what I do to, oh my God, I have to pull in this parking lot again. And, you know, it, and it's really amazing how fast we let that happen. And it goes to show me the, the power that other suggestions can really have over us if we're not diligent in protecting ourselves and in really owning up to the fact that we are in control. We do choose what we take in, what we internalize, and then what we put out. And so, you know, I, so I would say that's probably the most powerful lesson. And, and, you know, I didn't learn it till 50, but I, you know, well, I guess it's been a little earlier than that now, I guess 45, but, um, but, you know, it's one that I hope other people pick up a lot sooner is that you control what other people think and you control whether what they think impacts you or not. Yeah. Wow. Such powerful advice. I, I also wish I had learned that earlier in my life as well. Um, but yeah, it's so true. I mean, the more that we can create, I always say the more we can create that space to pause and to create space for choices and realize that we do have choices and we can make decisions that are more aligned with our own values and what's going to empower us and what's going to propel us in a way forward or what's going to keep us either stuck or maybe even backward, right? Like we could be moving backwards in our life if we're stuck in those habitual patterns. Um, such a powerful thing. So thank you so much for your time today. I want to give you a quick minute. Where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you if they want to know more? So um, LinkedIn is a great channel to follow me on, or I'm on Facebook or Twitter and Chelly Phillips. You can find me just by using my name. Um, and if you're interested in um, becoming more visible and being more seen, um, I've got a, a freebie that you're welcome to download. It's at ChellyPhillips.com backslash planner, and it'll walk you through on um, how to become more visible. What's the thought process to go through? It'll help you identify any roadblocks that you might have. And that's my free gift for you for, for sitting and listening to me ramble today and talk about the things that, you know, that really get me fired up. Um, I hope that you'll turn around and use this as something that will, you know, inspire you and, and get you seen and get you heard in the workplace. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure to include that in the show notes so that people can download that and get access to that great freebie. So I appreciate you offering that. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to know you and talking about this important topic. Thanks for having me. I've truly enjoyed our time.